94.3 WRHDHD1, Farmville, Greenville. Are you sure this is legal? Hear the Pirates play no matter where you are. I don't know. 943thegame.com. Do you live ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome in to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. We are live on YouTube. We are live on Facebook. We are live on 943thegame.com. We're also live on the IBX Media app. If you have not downloaded that yet, go to your Apple Store, type in IBX Media, download it. It's super easy, super simple, easy way to listen to all of our programming. Obviously, Hoist the Colors, the Patrick Johnson Show, Talk of the Town, and much more across the Interbanks Media platform so check that out right now uh, new app super easy to use just wanted to continue to plug that and we are recapping east carolina's tough tough defeat to the unc tar hills two to one on wednesday night inside clark Clair stadium we've got philip pilkington in studio alongside myself we got plenty of uh comments coming our way philip we asked yeah. for him on twitter it was uh it was a little risky i, I wanted to get some good comments that right after the game so we'll get to those in a bit, but a tough night for the Pirates inside Clark Leclerc Stadium. Yeah, it was a disappointing loss, nonetheless, anytime you lose to an in-state rival like North Carolina. But I really did overall think the team played very well, especially Pitchwell. Anytime you only give up two runs to a lineup like that, uh, you cannot you can only be so upset. Yeah, I mean, they pitched extremely well, and I think for this team to get to where they want to go, it's going to be all about pitching. And that was a positive. We'll get into some of the positives, the negatives. Uh, if you got a comment on Facebook, on YouTube, a question, drop it in. Also, give us a call if you want to uh, to call in. We're taking live calls to break down the game. 252-561-8255. And we'll take your call, get you on the air uh, as we break down East Carolina's matchup uh, with North Carolina. We'll talk, too, about the upcoming weekend series at Cincinnati. Later in the program, we're going to visit with Noah Henderson, here in probably about 20 minutes or so as he heads off to the NFL with the Buffalo Bills. And we'll, we'll also talk about the Isaiah Winstead situation as he had to wait a little bit, Philip, but he's got an NFL home as well at the San Francisco 49ers. So we'll talk more about that here in a minute. But um, just overall thoughts last night, I, I want to preface it by by saying that, you know, in a vacuum, the, the game itself, a 2-1 to loss to a, a good North Carolina team, like I, I don't think it's a – you know, it's not time to, to hit the panic button. I understand why some fans are frustrated because I think this is now maybe five of eight or six of eight as far as losses for ECU baseball over the past uh, few weeks. So I understand there's some frustration there, but the game itself on Wednesday, you played a really good team. It was a one-run game. You've now played three one-run games with an NCAA tournament caliber team in North Carolina. You won two. You lost this one. So yes, it's frustrating, but I don't I don't think it's the end of the world. And you know we can get into Cincinnati a little bit later. I think that's going to end up being the more important part of this week. But you know you kind of have to. Yes, it's frustrating, but also let's let's back off the ledge a little bit. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know when you look at this, you brought up as a one run game. Um, I thought 
we pitched really well. And also, I thought a lot of our outs were allowed outs. Yes, that one on the scoreboard doesn't look good, but you think about Nathan Chrisman's shot there in the third, or sorry, to the third baseman in the eighth inning. Uh, and there were more outs like that. We didn't, you know, it's not like we had a bunch of guys fanning. We were hitting a bunch of lazy dribblers. It didn't look like that second game or the first full game Saturday, the loss on Saturday, right. I should say. Uh, it didn't look like that game. I mean, we were putting bats on balls and we were facing their Friday night guy for the first four innings and then the last three we got Carlson who you and I were talking about before the show that we've always struggled against Carlson and and rightfully so he's a pretty darn good pitcher so it's just you played a tough team that was playing you know they put all their eggs in this basket they don't have a game this weekend that's the other factor too is ECU had to throw basically it's midweek staff and uh, for, for North Carolina they were able to with no games due to exams they were able to throw their best guys and yeah, they lost to Campbell by one run on, on Tuesday, and they had to use some arms there. But it's kind of different situations there overall. Uh, so, so tough defeat. ECU's RPI down to uh, to 33 now. North Carolina actually sitting at 34. So Pirates down four spots from where they entered this week. And, you know, the tough part about it is if you won the game, you're probably up in the mid-20s. Maybe you're back somewhat in the hosting discussion, but the loss kind of knocks you down for now. Um, latest projections come out, Phillip. And we'll get into kind of some comments from people here in a second, but I wanted to touch on this. The latest projections come out from D1 Baseball and Baseball America yesterday. They both have ECU as a two seed. I don't think this game really changes anything, but you know, you're kind of running out of time right now to 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 get your host hosting resume back in order. You only have, you know, what, twelve regular season games remaining. And so they're gonna have to basically almost win out or lose only once or twice and then go on a run in the conference tournament if they want to host and I think it's, it's starting to look bleaker by the day it is and but I guess the one thing if we want to get to strictly the host conversation is your RPI and that's not the only thing that matters but it's one of the huge factors they use is affected tremendously pot in a positive manner when you win on the road so I guess the bright side is they do have a road series coming up, or two of the other final three series are on the road. Uh, you still have a road midweek game, which is big. But yeah, I I think that the host thing is probably I wouldn't say an unrealistic thing, but if you're a pirate fan, um, you might be having to plan a vacation for that weekend because you, you would probably are traveling on the road. But you know, like Scooter said uh, yesterday, this team will play anybody, anytime, anywhere. If they said you're playing LSU tomorrow on Antarctica, they'd show up to Antarctica and play LSU. These guys don't care. ECU now 31 to 14 on the season. They're nine and six in the conference. They go to Cincinnati this weekend. We'll have coverage for you on 94.3. The game five o'clock first pitch scheduled for Friday. 2 o'clock Saturday, 1 o'clock on Sunday. Let's get into some of the, the comments, Philip. Uh, do, you, do you have them pulled up? Yeah, that way we can both kind of reference them here. So we what we did was we asked for comments. We asked for questions and concerns. Uh, we got about 25. I don't know if we'll be able to read all of them, but uh, it, I know we definitely won't be able to read all of them because there's a Campbell fan who is uh, just trolling ECU and, and – in my mentions, for some reason, I don't really know why. I guess he's got nothing better to do. But. I guess so. Hey, you know, we are big brother <laughs> to Campbell, and it's always going to be that way. Yeah, and they've they, they've gotten the better of ECU twice this year, and I guess they're enjoying that. Again, if you want to call in, 252-561-8255. We're open for ECU baseball discussion, anything really uh, on the live line. So, all right, let's start it off with uh, – let's go. Trip Rokes here wants to know my thoughts – question mark where are we going for the regional since we just kind of discussed this we kind of talked about this briefly with scott rogers yesterday 
uh, Columbia or Winston-Salem, Conway or Durham, at least which should stay in the Carolinas, is what Tripp says. And, you know, that's the thing. If ECU ends up making the tournament as a non-one seed, you're likely going to be local. You, you never know, really know what the NCAA is going to do, but I would think he listed all four possibilities there. Obviously, Coastal Carolina, Duke, South Carolina, Wake Forest. I, I think if you're if you're at pretty much any of those locations, maybe outside of South Carolina, you're going to like what the ECU contingent looks like. Yeah, for sure. Um, because like I said, we will travel, and I hope that we are in one of these spots if we do hit the road. But like you said, it is so hard to predict yeah. who's I mean, getting into the tournament, let alone where they're going. Uh, the committee usually does kind of send the four seeds to favorable spots one seed wise but sometimes when you're the two you think hey i'm going i'm going right down the road and then you end up at in stanford on the west coast yeah you never know i mean there was a time ecu got sent out to arizona state for a regional as a traveling three seed so uh and again we don't we don't even really know who's going to host so there's still three weeks of the largo season left so i appreciate the question trip but i just think it's a it's a case where it's kind of like the projections. Like at this point, it's all speculation. But hey, it gives us something to talk about on the air on a radio show. So I'm not going to complain about it. Um, all right, Charles wants to know. He just has a comment. He just says hitting, more specifically, each hitter's approach at the plate. I don't know if that's really a. I guess he's asking a question. I guess he's asking about the approach at the plate overall. Um, what did you think about the approach last night? And again, some of it is due to UNC's pitching. Some of us also do, we haven't mentioned it, the weather. The wind was howling in from right field. You've got seven left-handed hitters in the lineup. There was a couple of balls hit out there that just died. Like I remember Moylan hitting one. Jenkins Cowart probably would have had a home run on a normal day. So that played a role too. What did you think of the approach last night? Yeah, you know, there were some times where, well, I guess we should start with the first inning. Um, we were able to get Bovair's pitch count up pretty high, which was good because I think we were a, a little... I don't know if I want to use the word passive, but we right. were patient at the plate, which is a good thing. And I think when the game decided, kind of got where we realized it was going to be a pitcher's duel, they definitely picked up their aggressiveness at the plate. But I think you have to have an approach that is based off how the game's being played out. And I think, you know, early in the game, you want to get the pitch count up. You want to see as many pitches out of their starters as you can. That's what they did. And then when they realized, hey, we need to put some runs on the board, they were more aggressive and I mean, that's kind of what you want out of a team, I guess. I'm not the biggest baseball expert, but that's what I usually like to see. And honestly, I didn't mind the approach last night. Yeah, Connor uh, Bavare, the starter, really good strikeout-to-walk ratio. He's going to more than likely pound the zone. Most of the guys they brought in from the bullpen, same type of deal, not many walks. So, you know, you can be patient, but at the same time, and I know there's some questions coming up about, hey, why are we swinging 3-0, and and then why are we taking – 2-0, like, I guess it just differs from at-bat to at-bat, and it's a scenario where we can try to analyze it, but really only Cliff Goblin and the team knows. Um, I do think ECU, as we talked about with Coach Goblin on Tuesday, is a very momentum-based offense. Like, they need something positive to happen, and it's almost like once they get that run or that stolen base, then the floodgates kind of open. And, and last night, there was nothing really happening – they tried to put the game in motion, Philip. They they went hit and run a couple times. It just so happened you swung and missed there. That led to two guys getting thrown out. And instead of having momentum, you take away all momentum. And then that just creates further issues. So they tried different things last night. It's not like they just stuck with the same approach the whole game, I don't think. 
No, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, the unfortunate thing about baseball, you know, Coach brought up a good point the other day. The good thing is there's no clock. Sometimes the unfortunate thing is there's no clock, and right. you only do get 27 outs to play with, which in a way is a lot, but in a way, in a game like that, you only have so many opportunities, especially facing a staff like we faced last night, to do those things. And like you said, um, we talked about it earlier, I think the no-walk getting thrown out was a hit and run, and yep. it was a pitch that I believe, I can't remember, I want to say it was a little up and, up, up and outside, yep. and – Whoever was at the plate swung, tried to do what he was, you know, did what he was told, and, and unfortunately, Nowak didn't get the best jump, and and Starling got thrown out once, and yeah, I mean, just not a lot of traffic on the bases to do those different things, but they tried, and uh, they, I think they played their brand of baseball, and that's what I love. They still played their small ball. They did not go away from their style of baseball, and unfortunately, it just didn't work out last night. But that's baseball; you can't win them all. And in a tight game like that, you have things that are magnified. If it's an eight to one game, maybe a missed catch is not a big a deal. But in a two one game, it's a huge deal. And Pirate Treasurer NC wants to know uh, seriously, the defense dropped a ton of catches, and it sure wasn't sun in their eyes out there tonight. UNC seemed to be more up for the game than we were, and they played a game the previous night. Um, well, I guess you only had really the the two missed catches, and really Carter Cunningham's diving attempt you can't really count as a miss. But the Luke Nowak sprinting in dropping that pop fly in a 1-1 game that allows UNC to get momentum eventually they score the go-ahead run the decisive run in that inning and I have said all year Philip that defensively this team I feel like is not as strong as as past years I, I think they're stronger on the mound I think position player wise and defensively they're a little weaker and I think at times that's cost them and unfortunately with, with Nowak last night it's just a play that you know has to be made. I mean, it's it's not an easy play. The wind's blowing in. He's having to run a long way. But if you want to win that game, like Cliff Goblin said, you got to make those plays. You hundred percent do. And I think you know I was reading some of the other comments, and obviously we'll get into them. But a lot of people, I know someone mentioned like well, we can't beat a ranked team, and I know they're not actually ranked. But I think the scarcity among ECU fans right now is yes, we're going to make the tournament, but. Everybody wants to go to Omaha, and those are the type of plays that have to be made to go to yep. Omaha, and those are the type of plays this team was making a year ago that they're not making now, but there's a lot of baseball to be played. You're going to be in a lot of games like this in the postseason more than likely, um, especially if you, let's say you're a two, three, a two or three seed and you're matched up against an ace, you're going to have to find a way to grind out a two to one, three to two victory more than likely. A lot of it is matchup dependent, but we've seen ECU this year They've lost to Campbell now twice by one run. They've lost to North Carolina by one run. They've lost some other tight games against good competition and close games. And uh, that's typically something ECU is really good at, executing the small things defensively, bunting, steals. Those are things that ECU's got to figure out to get to where they want to go. Uh, you mentioned the the top 25 comments. A good segue is Cameron says, uh, do you think we are overrated? zero wins against current top 25 teams i guess he's referencing the polls or rpi i don't i don't know exactly maybe both um i'll just say i don't think ec is overrated your thoughts philip and i can expand on my comments here in a, a second no i really don't think they are and i mean right now if you look at how many teams have we actually even played in the top 25 i think right. two games against campbell and one game against duke because right now carolina's obviously not ranked and if they were we'd have two wins but no i don't think they're overrated look um the I guess the first polls come out at the beginning of the year, and they these teams technically have never the twenty twenty three Pirates had never stepped foot on the field, but you know as frustrating as the last you know 
half a month or so has been this is still a team that I mean, we saw what they did out of conference. We saw how they handled Cincinnati in conference. This is still a lot of the same players that were in that super regional a year ago and had Texas on the ropes. Yeah, there's no doubt. I think it's like you said, they haven't really played that many top 25 teams and UNC was the top 25 team when they beat them in Chapel Hill, when they beat them in Greenville the first time and they could easily be a top 25 team again, if they go close the, close the season strong and win, against NC State and Clemson so like I feel like they've beaten top 25 caliber teams I don't know exactly what the numbers say they had beaten Indiana I think Indiana has since fallen out of the top 25 but they've beaten teams that have been in the top 25 you look at the top 25 overall right now there's really yeah not many games against top 25 teams like Duke they had one game and that's it outside of that that's kind of and maybe NC State from an RPI perspective is up there and ECU does have a win over those guys but there just haven't been a lot of those opportunities. So I, I don't make too much of a deal about that. And I think, too, again, you know, ECU, at the end of the day, they're 31-14. They've had a lot more winning weekends than, than losing weekends. They're just in a tough stretch right now. If they go to Cincinnati and they lose two out of three, Phillip, then maybe, yeah, I'll, I'll agree that they're overrated. But, uh, you know, they found a way to win two out of three against Tulane and a bounce back. They do have to prove they can win on the road. But it's not like they went out last night and lost 12-1. to 1. You know, they competed. They're a pitch away from winning the game. So, I'm just not going to buy that ECU is overrated. And, two, I will urge people, too, how much other college baseball people watched this year. Because, like, some of the teams around ECU in the top 25, like UConn, Dallas Baptist, Oregon, all these teams are just as inconsistent. And so, I don't think it's – I think college baseball as a whole – it's just kind of inconsistent right now outside of the top level. So, um, yeah, I, I, I guess we just get too caught up in the immediate results, but I'm not, I'm not buying that they're overrated, Phillip. So uh, a couple more comments, and then we'll take our break, get to Noah Henderson, and uh, get to some more of these later. We, we got a lot of comments about why no Cam Clonch. And Cam Clonch has had a very good year for the Pirates. He's actually been more of an off-the-bench piece, kind of a pinch hitter type. Uh, statistically right now he's hitting 268 three home runs five doubles but a 406 on base percentage any thoughts on you know do we see cam clunch to maybe mix up the offense or something like that and again you got a lot of first base dh types already so it's hard to get him in yeah i think that's kind of the like you said it's kind of the junkie thing for cam is he good heck yeah but unfortunately um they've liked to dh probably one of their catchers if both guys are healthy of course we didn't see that last night and then obviously you know josh is the first baseman of this team but i guess to to the point there cam has played the outfield we saw it yes. in the game in chapel hill and um luke nowak's been a pretty good hitter this year really good base stealer his downside has been his defense and not that i think cam is a phenomenal outfielder he's a much better first baseman but could we have seen him maybe in that left field spot last night and maybe yes but when on the other side of things we knew it was gonna be a close game and i think coach godwin wanted that speed on the base pass and that's probably why he went with luke nowak over cam clonch in left field yeah you're, you're kind of pigeonholed and again the the, the roster construction isn't ideal right now and i'm not saying that as a shot to the coaching staff it's just it's it's hard to project who exactly is going to be in your program with the drafts with the transfer portal all that stuff but you have so many left-handed hitters right now you've got so many guys who fit that corner outfield first base dh mold it's hard to get them all in the game we're seeing it too with dixon williams you know he's third baseman talented hitter lefty hitter stuck behind amac 
probably could play some outfield, but you've got other options there. You know, the issue is you look at each guy and maybe each guy does something well, but then they kind of have a weakness too. Like there's no complete all-around guy in that, you know, outfield first base DH type mold right now. So it's just kind of pick pick who you want. And, and right now Cam Clunch seems to be the, the odd man out. But I'll give Cam credit in that he's been a guy, when called on in big moments, he's delivered. And it, it almost seems like he's better in that role than in a full-time starting role. And maybe that's because he hasn't really gotten a shot at the full-time starting role. But um, I don't know. We, we got some questions, too, about mixing up the lineup. I know the Black Pearl on hoistthecolors.net asked, do we think Cliff messes with the lineup at this point? And I think we're deep enough into the season where I think your lineup kind of is what your lineup is. Maybe we see more, a little more McChrystal. Maybe we see a little more Clanch rather than Nowak and Cunningham. But again, I think the rest of it's going to stay about the same. Yeah, I mean, this far into the season, I think, you know, I, th- I remember there was one comment they even said, I don't know if it was one you're referencing or one I saw earlier that said, or is Cliff too stubborn? I don't think he's too stubborn to move the lineup. We've seen guys fluctuate a lot this year. But like you said, it's they've played almost 50 games now, and if you haven't been in the lineup regularly – these pitchers, they've been throwing regularly. So I definitely think, you know, the kind of the names you mentioned, we may see, you know, in here or there. And one thing that Cliff Godden will do that I love is that he's not afraid to drop guys in the lineup despite keeping them in. And think of how many hitters that has helped this year. When Lane Hoover got dropped down, we saw how that took the pressure off him. Mm-hmm. Now he's hitting leadoff, and rightfully so. So I think we might see some fluctuation in the lineup, but I don't know if we'll see – uh, new faces really in the lineup this late in the season. A couple more comments and we'll take our break. Uh, pause this discussion for a visit with Noah Henderson. Um, Gator, so here's your two opposite ends of the spectrum here. Again, most of these comments were made basically immediately after the game. So Pirate Nation's awesome. They're also extremely emotional. So you're going to understand that there's some emotion in these comments that, that we asked for on social media. So we have to take that, uh, you know, with, with somewhat of a grain of salt. But Gator says, on the negative end, Wills have fallen off for this team. I don't know whether we've been scouted really well or if the mentality has changed. They don't look or play like the same team. Lots of mental errors and uncharacteristic mistakes in all level of plays. And then uh, Steve Brooks, in all level of play, I should say. Uh, Steve Brooks says, we won the series. And time to move on. Need to win all three this weekend and the conference tourney. So he's looking at it from the positive perspective. You do have to remember, and Scott Rogers and I had this discussion, ECU did already win the season series with UNC. I'm not trying to make excuses for them, but you combine that. I I think UNC kind of needed this game more than ECU a little bit. Um, Not that they played like that, but it just so happened to work out where they won it. So uh, you can look at it both ways, Philip. I think at the end of the day, it's just a one-run loss to a good team and a pretty quality baseball game. No, it definitely is. And that is one of the things that we love about baseball, right? But then one of the things that as a diehard fan of any one specific team, it irks you about baseball. You really can go out there and play well and lose a tough game. So, I, yeah, I'm definitely on the end of the spectrum of, 
hey, you know what, you won the series, and I get that the other two games were two and a half months ago, and I get, I guess, a lot of people's irk is, yeah, you might have won the series, but look how we've been playing of late, but I still think this team has that same mentality that they had at the beginning of the season. Like I kind of mentioned earlier, they'll play anybody, anywhere, and um, I think there's still great chemistry. I think they enjoy being in the locker room. Obviously, we don't see what happens behind closed doors, but you just see the positivity in the players' eyes and in Coach Godwin and I still think this team can beat anybody. And at the end of the day, there's going to be 64 teams in the tournament, and I think they're going to be one of them. And everybody's got the same path. There's no doubt. He is Philip Pilkington. I'm Stephen Igo. Let's take a quick break on Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. On the other side, we'll catch up with Noah Henderson on his way to the Buffalo Bills. Later in the program, we'll return to your comments, discussion. We'll also preview the Cincinnati series, and we'll discuss Isaiah Winstead, the former Pirate receiver, signing a deal with the San Francisco 49ers. All that coming up next on Hoist the Colors. What's happening? Tell me. Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Colors, it is a big week for former ECU football players who have signed undrafted free agent contracts with respective NFL teams. One of those guys is Noah Henderson, who signed with the Buffalo Bills, and he joins us now. Noah, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How's it going? It's going good, man. It's going good. So let's get into it, Noah. What was it like to to get that call from Buffalo after the draft? I'm sure you were, you were hopeful of hearing your name in the draft, but still to, to get that news, to get that call for the draft, take us through that moment. Um, Really, that's a real feeling, you know, just uh, I had talked to them the last day of the draft. They were hoping that, you know, if things worked out that, you know, they could call my name, but I mean, I kind of knew at the end of the day, but even to get that call and, you know, just to hear that, Noah Henderson, you're, you're a Buffalo Bill, it's, it's kind of crazy. It's something you you look forward to, you work hard for for a long time, but to finally hear that, it's, it's crazy. What's your what's your schedule like the rest of this week? Uh, you know, we're, we're recording this for Thursday's show, so are you going to be heading up to, to Buffalo this weekend? Is it next week? Kind of walk us through what your schedule's like before you report. Um, right now, I'm still, you know, just working out and things. I don't report for a rookie minicamp until um, the 11th of May. So right now, I'm kind of just preparing my mind uh, for Buffalo. You know, a, a young kid from, from the deep south heading to, to the cold. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. From uh, Bennettsville, South Carolina, to Buffalo, New York, have you have you thought about that much? Like, are you kind of excited to uh, to see what uh, Buffalo is all about? And I don't know. At least it'll be somewhat warm this time of year, right? Yeah, you know, I'm excited to see uh, something new, just a different outlook on life. You know, it's, I've heard it's like 30 minutes away from like the border of Canada. Uh, I've been told to get all my winter coats ready. And, you know, right now it's still like 40 degrees there. So it's crazy. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a little bit too cold for my blood. But, hey, at least you won't yeah. get uh, w- at least you won't get overheated maybe in rookie minicamp uh, working out oh, yeah. in your initial practices. We're joined by Noah Henderson on his way to the National Football League, signing a deal with the Buffalo Bills. Take us through your conversations with Buffalo, Noah, like how – quickly did they show interest what were some of the things they said they like about you uh take us through some of that um i've been hearing from buffalo probably ever since maybe like the beginning of last season um 
I've, I've peeped. They've been like low key. I've had scouts following me here and there. And then um, uh, at the end of the season, when I went to those senior bowl games, Buffalo was, they were on me heavy at both all-star games that I played in, um, talking to multiple scouts. And then after that, just a lot of reaching out. And then these past couple weeks, um, the O-line coach uh, became in contact with me. And that's when I realized, like, okay, like I, I knew that they were interested in me, but now I know that this is serious. Obviously, you've got the size teams covet, Noah, 6'6", 300-plus pounds. And we kind of talked to pro day. Some teams maybe see you as a guard. You played right tackle for the most part at East Carolina. Has Buffalo given you any indication there in terms of what they kind of see you as? Uh, or is it more of a to-be-determined situation? It's more of a to-be-determined. Just come in and uh, be ready to play both. Because uh, I've played both right and left tackle and I mean, I have the experience and knowledge to be able to go down and play guard. So it's just coming in and being able to be ready to play whatever. Noah Henderson is with us. Noah, I want to rewind to early in your ECU career. I actually remember talking to you when you got fully cleared after your back injury. You missed, I believe, the entire 2020 season, you know, during the COVID year because of that injury. And, you know, just how, how thankful you were at that time. And, you know, fast forwarding from, from then to now, you know, going from a guy who may may not ever play college football again now to, to on your way to the NFL, like, is that soaked in yet? Yeah, it, it it hit me the day I got the call because, you know, it was it was one of those thoughts where I used to think that, you know, I was done with football. I was just going to graduate, get my degree, and, and go on with life. But to know that, you know, I, I did the work and I, I endured all the hard times and it's all paying off. How much, you know – Joy, did you get watching some of your teammates also get that call? Like, how, what have the conversations been like with Keaton Mitchell, Holt Naylor, C.J. Johnson, Ryan Jones, um, and hopefully, you know, more of your guys get some rookie minicamp invites, that sort of stuff in the coming days. But was it, what's it like kind of sharing that moment with so many guys you came in with and, and, and made a bond with? Oh, yeah, it's a great feeling. I um, We all probably contact each other within, like, probably like five, ten minutes of getting our calls, you know, just celebrating with each other. You know, we, we all worked hard. We we come from a bond on a team that that very few teams have. And, you know, all of us are close. So it's just great to see that all our our, uh, our hard work has paid off. And, you know, we're, we're going to see each other the next level, you know, maybe play against each other, but we're still brothers at the end of the day. And, and I hope the rest of my teammates that have uh, gone on this journey, well, I know most of them, We'll get another chance to play at that level with us. No, take us back to your days at, at Marlboro County High School when, you know, you, you weren't heavily recruited, but I remember when East Carolina signed you when they got your addition, I was told, hey, watch out for this Noah Henderson kid. He needs to develop a little bit, but in a couple of years he can be really good. So what was it like being recruited by ECU? What led you to the Pirates? And, you know, take us back to that time. I think that was even Scotty Montgomery's staff that initially brought you in and maybe Coach Mahoney. Uh, what was that process like? Um, yeah, that process, I was kind of late in the process. So a lot of teams didn't really know who I was because, you know, I didn't play football my whole college, I mean, high school career. So I was getting a lot of late interest and a lot of stuff like I didn't even post or anything. But um, ECU stuck out to me because I, I really believed in what Coach Mo had going on and Coach Mahoney his experience and the people that he had put in the league and the same thing with Coach Bo, 
you know, I just I fell in love with the atmosphere of ECU, which is the same reason I still love it to this day. And you know, I'm I'm thankful and I'm grateful for everything that ECU has done for me. And you know, I I just I really could see myself just being at ECU for four or five years and making a name for myself. Definitely, you did just that. You got your degree as well. Uh, you're, you're moving yeah. on after uh, you know five years at East Carolina. And how much do you credit Coach Shankweiler coming in with Coach Houston's staff as well uh, for your success and kind of your your development? Oh yeah, I mean Coach Shank, he's been my my coach for what four and a half years, and he really he took the time to you know understand me as a player and a person. Uh, you know, he knew what I did and didn't need he. He really knows the game. He's a guy with a lot of knowledge, and and I appreciate everything that he's done for me. Noah Henderson with us. Last thing, we'll get you out of here, Noah. What are the big keys for you over these coming days before you report to, to minicamp? Like, do they send you a playbook or anything, any, anything to study or look at, or is it more just kind of preparing yourself mentally? Um, right now, just mentally preparing myself and, you know, all of the, the little um, the compliance things and with getting all that stuff out of the way. Just a little stuff, just so when I can get there, it can be straight to uh, to focus on football. And right now, I'm just spending some extra time with the family and the sons before I'm headed up to Buffalo. He is Noah Henderson. Noah, best of luck uh, up in Buffalo, man. Hopefully, it, it ends up not being too cold for you. But uh, I'm sure you, I'm sure you'll be fine either way. But hey, it was a pleasure to cover you here at East Carolina. We wish you the best of luck in your next stop, and we'll be uh, we'll be keeping in touch. All right, thank you. I appreciate it. That is Noah Henderson, former ECU offensive tackle, recent graduate, now on his way to the NFL. We'll be right back on Hoist the Colors with more ECU athletics coverage. What's happening? Tell me. Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, back into the program. Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Philip Pilkington in studio alongside Clark Willis producing the man behind the glass. Clark, you got your first homework assignment coming tomorrow. So can't wait to, uh, to let you know about it. Uh, We'll get into that on Friday. We are recapping the East Carolina 2-1 setback against the North Carolina Tar Heels. We just visited with Noah Henderson. He is our third player we've caught up with this week. We talked to C.J. Johnson on Wednesday. We talked also to Ryan Jones on Tuesday. So check those out on uh, podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, IBX Media, also YouTube and Facebook where we streamed them. And uh, check that out on all those platforms along with today's show once it's archived if you missed any of it. All right, back in studio. We're, we're continuing to run through your comments here. I told you guys we had a lot of them. We weren't kidding. We still got quite a number to go through. Also, if you, uh, if you want to discuss the show live on Facebook and YouTube, drop those comments in. We got one from Jay in regards to the offensive approach, which seems to be a, a budding topic, he says, it seems to me that we are slow to change gears on our hitting approach when the wind is blowing in or if we are in a deeper ballpark. If the ball isn't flying out of the park, we struggle. That being said, we've had some awesome rallies when we've shortened up, played small ball, hit backside, and strung hits together. That from Jay on Facebook. So, I mean, 
I can't necessarily disagree with your take, Jay. I, I think we talked about it with Cliff Govin earlier this week that this is the momentum-based offense, and, and, and once they get a couple of hits, it starts to roll together. And I do think, too, when the ball is flying out, it kind of helps make up for ECU's lack of home run power. Like, when I look at this lineup, Phillip, if I'm an opposing pitcher, I'll ask you, who, who? all right, if you're an opposing pitcher, who scares you in this lineup? Like, from at-bat to at-bat, like, who really – who are you really worried about? Like, when I look at North Carolina, I'm worried about four, five, six hitters in that lineup. What about ECU? Not nearly as much. I mean, yeah. you're thinking Lane, just because of the fact that as long as he puts the bat on the ball, he can dig anything out. Yeah. But you know that there's not really a guy in this lineup that can change the game with one swing of the bat. There's a lot of guys who can hit the ball, put it in play, but I don't think as a pitcher – I'm not as worried about those guys because then I can just go attack the next guy. Right. And there's not that guy in this lineup. I think for me, Josh Mullen and Jacob Jenkins Coward are the two guys who like if I if I'm the opposing team, I circle and I say, I don't I don't want them to beat me as far as hitting the ball at the ballpark. Oh yeah. And then the rest of it is just you you can't let ECU string things together. And I think if you do that, you're in pretty good shape. And I think we've seen when when Jenkins Cowart is not hitting the ball extremely well, and when Josh Moylan is going maybe through his ups and downs, uh, this offense can struggle to score. So I think it's just a yeah scenario where you don't have maybe that home run pop up and down the lineup like maybe you've had in the past, and that's why maybe we do see some offensive lulls because the way to erase a a really good pitcher is to hit the ball at the ballpark a few times and, and, and score that way. So uh, let's get back to some of these comments here on Twitter. Uh, Aaron Murphy says, is there a stat for how many two-strike runs given up? Um, I'll tell you what, Aaron, it's funny you ask this because my dad, he texts me now every time ECU gives up a two-strike hit. So it's become <laughs> so much of a theme that uh, every time ECU has two strikes on a batter, which is a good thing. They're getting ahead of a lot of guys. But it gets yep. Tulane, man. It seemed like every time. And then last night, Vance Honeycutt hit the homer with two strikes. Again, pitch not the biggest problem last night, but you still got to execute with two strikes or you're going to get burned. You almost wonder, like, I love how much our pitchers like to attack hitters early. They don't back down from a challenge. But sometimes when they get up 0-2, it's like, I'm not saying pitch around a guy, but it seems like, oh, I've got him with these first two pitches. Let's go right back at him. And I think there's just some maturity. There, there's some ability to get more mature with this pitching staff where you don't necessarily go at guys. Maybe you go at a guy for an entire at-bat, but you don't necessarily go at him for every single pitch. Right. So, yeah, yeah that's kind of what worries me. But I do like when a guy does get hit. I mean, you saw it last night when Honeycutt hit the shot, like – Sailor went right back and attacked the next hitter, which I like. But, like I said, it's, it's kind of gotten us in trouble sometimes, too. Yeah, you look at this strikeout-to-walk ratio for ECU pitching as a whole. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. And so, I guess it's it's you know it's good and bad because you're going to get maybe bit by some of those two-strike hits. But, it I don't know, I still would rather let a guy hit it than walk him. And so, it, it's, you know, but it is that fine line. If you're up 0-2, 1-2, you really do want to try to get the guy to chase something. You know, high fastball, low and away slide, or something like that. So, just so happened last night, Honeycutt caught up to a a fastball that was supposed to be in in off the plate, and it kind of leaked back over and, and 
that guy's got serious pop. So, uh, but otherwise, pitching was phenomenal last night. Mike Ward on Twitter says, I'll preface with it's easy to coach from the stands. Cliff Galvin talked about it postgame. Weather was a major factor tonight. So why, when Jacob Starling led off with a single in the middle innings, I think next man should have bunted. They were playing the shift. First and second, no outs was gift wrap there. So this is interesting because I actually noticed this too. Josh Mullen was up at the plate. Starlin, I believe, either walked or singled or something. Either way, they were the third baseman was playing at shortstop. The shift was there. The bunt was there due to the shift. And it's it's just funny because we like the fan base is like if ECU bunts too much and it, it doesn't work, then they complain about too many too many bunts. And now it's like, why aren't we bunting more? So it's just one of those things where if it if it works, if you do it and it works, it's genius. Let's say Moreland tried to bunt there, Phillip, and he bunts it back to the pitcher or he pops it up. What are the fans saying then? They're complaining. Why didn't you let your best hitter swing away? Exactly. Like you said, he's the one guy or one of the two guys that can actually take the ball out of the ballpark somewhat consistently. 100%. So it's like that fine line of if you're going to bunt in that situation in a one-run game, you you have to know he can execute it. Maybe they have not you know worked on that as much with more than we've seen him bunt some in the past. But um, yeah, it's just you know that's a preference thing. They chose not to bunt there. They chose to let him swing away, and it, it didn't work out. Austin Voss says concerned about the timing of Carter Spivey to the pin with Trey Savage out creates the potential of two staff days with Zach Root going on Friday and to be determined on Sunday. Paired with our struggles on the road, he says, seems like a recipe for a difficult road trip this weekend. I mean, I think this is a fair comment, Philip. but I, two, this is what ECU did last year with major success, and it seems like they're, they're wanting to go back that route right now. Yeah, it does seem that way, and like you said, it brought success. But what I sometimes like about staff days is if I'm a pitcher and I know that my – I am told, go out there, get me six, get me seven innings. A lot of times, or maybe if I'm not a pitcher, maybe if I'm Austin Knight and I'm calling the pitches, you only show your fastball and one other pitch the first time through the lineup. And then that way you can come back the second time through and show more. And I think that makes you more vulnerable. Obviously, that's something you have to do in the era of baseball where you do have theoretically a starter once every day who's supposed to go six or seven innings. But we saw it last night with Jai, or with Garrett Saylor, excuse me, that he was able to throw all his pitches knowing that he was probably only going to see every guy once, maybe twice, but no way was he going to get into the seventh inning and see guys three times through the lineup. So sometimes that can actually work to your benefit when you do a staff day. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point because Sailor is usually sinker, fastball heavy, and he was breaking ball heavy from the gate last night. And I thought it made a huge difference, and I think that that's an important it, – it, too, it was Zach Root, who loves to pitch off his changeup. You know, yeah, you would like to get four, five, six innings out of him, but he can go out there inning one, pitch, changeup, fastball, slider, instead of just trying to rely off his fastball. So, um, look, there's risk when you try to do it that way, but – the good news is ECU does have a bevy of arms that it can go to, and nobody threw too much last night where a lot of people should be available this weekend at Cincinnati. Uh, we got a lot of comments about why are we, you know, watching strikes, you know, why are they swinging 3-0. A lot of stuff dealing with the plate approach. Like Brad says, when we have 2-0 count, hitters counts, we don't swing at fastballs down the middle. If you go back on tape, JJC had this happen in the middle of the game. Our batters need to be more aggressive. Did Cliff instruct him to take or not? I, I highly doubt Cliff is telling Jacob Jenkins Coward to take on 2-0 and 2-1. I just think it's it's a 
look, we complain about the approach when the, the offense isn't hitting. Jacob Jenkins Cowart took two breaking balls to begin that at bat. Maybe he was sitting breaking ball, got two fastballs in a row. Like we just never know what's in a player's head. It's not as easy as, hey, he's taking a pitch right down the middle. He's looking for something specific. Yeah. It's not just he's not just sitting there being like, Oh, well, I'm gonna take this pitch no matter what. That that may be how it looks in the stands, but that's not how it is in the box. Yeah, and look, I'm gonna kinda tell people to do something which i know movies aren't the best representation of a sport but if you've watched the movie bull durham you know he's kind of kevin costner's character you hear him like thinking narrating it and that's really what batters are thinking at the plate and it is like you said it's so much easier to go well he threw one right down the middle when you're sitting breaking ball and you're thinking the pitch is going to come in at 82 and then it comes in at 94 12 miles an hour is a lot, especially when it's only 60 foot 6 inches to travel. There's no doubt. It's it's not as easy as it looks, that's for sure. And uh, the hardest thing to do in sports is hit a baseball. You know, hit a baseball, a round baseball with a round bat squarely. So, uh, as my grandfather used to say, along with a lot of other people. All right, let's take our, our final break on the other side. I think we got to most of the comments, so we'll transition to... The latest ECU Pirates moving on to the professional ranks. Isaiah Winstead has signed an undrafted free agent deal with the 49ers. We'll discuss that and a little bit more to wrap up the program. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. We're live with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. All right, welcome back in studio. Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Hanging out with Philip Pilkington, Clark Willis, is producing we got just a couple of minutes left wanted to touch on the isaiah winstead situation philip just an awesome story of a guy who came to east carolina as a grad transfer really produced at a high high level and there just wasn't much pre-draft buzz for isaiah winstead showed up a pro day crushed it but didn't run a good 40 time did really good in the receiving drills so a lot of disappointment that he didn't get a mini camp invite or, or undrafted free agent deal he put his highlight video out there went viral and now he's signed with the 49ers a couple of days later so just a great story yeah it definitely is and you know you mentioned that 40 time that might have hurt him but at the end of the day once you get out there and you get to camp and fortunately now he is going the coaches they I mean they got testing but if you can produce on the field you stand a good chance to get kept they care about that a lot more than a time on a sheet yeah, and we talked about it yesterday with some of the guys who are going pro, but it feels like the 49ers situation, they've they've taken a lot of undrafted free agent guys in the past, kind of plugged them in. Um, you know, Kyle Shanahan, obviously the coach there, back when Mike Shanahan was the coach of the Denver Broncos, they were highly invested in the undrafted free agent market, and it looks like the Niners are kind of in that same realm. So maybe he has a chance to stick. I mean, he's going to have to prove a lot of things, but I think he at least has a fighting chance going in. I definitely think he does. And, you know, looking here at this receiver room, obviously Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and uh, Jawan Jennings are listed as their starters. And then after that, it's a bunch of journeyman guys. The biggest name in here after that is Willie Sneed, and he really has not done much over really since leaving Baltimore. Um, I guess a little bit in New Orleans. But it's a bunch of guys you really haven't heard of. Ray Ray McLeod's in there. But, you know, not saying that none of these guys are good receivers, but my point is... Isaiah Winston is in the same boat, I think, as a lot of these guys. And they're definitely guys that he stands just as good of a chance to beat them out as they do to beat him out. Yeah, there's no doubt. I'm excited to see what he can do uh, going forward with the 49ers. Excited to see what all these guys can do. We'll try to get Isaiah on the program here shortly. Also, tomorrow's show, 
We'll have R.J. Felton and Ezra Osar on the basketball front join us. So uh, that'll wrap it up for today. You've been listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 943 The Game.